What's up, WizKids? Coming up on Off the Bench, we got Zach Rosen and Chris Gehring and myself talking about the back-to-back games against the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Philadelphia 76ers. And we also have Bob Dandridge, uh, a great, great player on the Washington Bullets championship team of 1978. He will be joining us on the pod. Don't miss it. Off the Bench, up next. Guys, I think when we talked on Monday, we said one and one off of that road trip would be yeah, pretty good, right? It. Yeah. It's a Absolutely. schedule, probably a schedule loss against the Sixers on uh, Wednesday night. Travel over 900 miles after a really like tough win in Minnesota. Yeah. You're already shorthanded John Wall, then Bradley Beal gets hurt in the first half. We think he's, you know, he's going to be all right. He returned. He's going to get an eye exam today on Thursday. But you're kind of playing without your two best players, both yeah. who like could be all stars this year, but I mean, give the Wizards credit for coming back in that game, just probably exhausted, and the Hacka Simmons stuff. I mean, it almost worked. It didn't. It didn't get the job done completely. And I know Coach Brooks was not happy with the team at all. It was tr- trending. Yeah, Hacka Simmons. But, but was to get that close, and I mean, I just give credit to the coaching staff to just think about that. I don't know if they they were considering it before the game started, but. Those are the, the things that make a big difference between, you know, even coming back in that game. They had no chance to be in that game without the Hack of Simmons. Yeah. Because their possessions were so diminished. They score what a We were four, so close. Forty eight we so points close. in the yeah, fourth, the most points. since nineteen eighty five by the by the franchise. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a wild it was wild. It was just a wild swing to get it down to it was a one possession game with 39 seconds left. I mean, Man. to be in that position after a 48 point, I mean, th- at that point it was whatever, a 42 point quarter at that point mm-hmm. or whatever, to get all the way back after looking at, like, I'm just looking, as I'm saying this, I'm looking at the game flow, like, on the Washington Wizards app that you can download today. Yeah, there you but go, download it. it's just, I mean, it was quite the deficit. It's like a, quite the picture of of how just how bad, um, you know, how poorly the game was going. Both from a standpoint of like Zach said, you don't want to lose Brad Beal after you already are without yeah. John Wall, and then Kelly Oubre had to go to locker room yeah, as right. well. So it was just a it was just kind of a, a funky game in all that in all that sense. In addition to having to travel, in addition to you know being on a back to back after a hard fought game in Minnesota where. Um, I thought they showed a lot of fight and and really had gotten an impressive win over a good team. I mean, we could talk about Minnesota a little yeah. bit too and their fourth quarter struggles that you know we're familiar with as well. Yeah. But so I know that Coach Brooks isn't interested in, in moral victories. I know that this is a season where we talked about you know the Wizards want to be in the position to be in the top echelon of the East, and to do that, that takes wins over over games that you that you think you should have and. I don't know if you think you should have this one. I mean, this is a hard game to win under mm-hmm. a lot of circumstances, but to be right there is is certainly impressive from from our standpoint. You know, obviously we're not coaching the team; we don't have to you know deliver that message every day. But um, yeah, it, it was it's, also it's, it was wild to hear the broadcast on NBC Sports Washington and be able to see how the crowd was reacting. That when Hacka Simmons first started, it was like it was like four four minutes to go, and yeah. the broad, you know it's Buck Hans and Kara are like, whoa, well, you know we'll see how this goes. You know I, he he uh, Ben Simmons was shooting sixty four percent from from the free throw uh, charity strike, 
And so it was just like, okay, is this really going to work? The crowd was mad at the beginning. Then all of a sudden they started cheering for Ben and, and some of the other guys as they made free throws. But it was just wild to see that change. And it's just unfortunate because, as you said, Chris and Zach, they were so close. One possession. One possession. Yeah, I mean, they really had no business being that close. But, you know, I don't really think there's much, too much more to talk about from that Philly game. I mean, there's some just crazy numbers from the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, good for them for coming back. Yeah. Uh, but I think Tuesday was probably one of the most impressive wins of the season. I mean, we there has only been 21 games. Yeah. But – the way that especially i mean a theme since john wall's been injured or you know healing has been the bench has been pretty good yeah and i mean they're getting a lot more playing time which is giving them the opportunities to score more points but they've outscored the starters in two straight games which apparently they hadn't done in this franchise hasn't done in five years which is pretty nuts uh kelly Oubre had a career high on Wednesday, he had 16 on Tuesday, and he was huge in the win. Jody Meeks has been scoring in double digits. Uh, Sadoransky has looked spectacular filling in for, for John Wall, getting his opportunities. Uh, and Yad Mahimi, the last two games. His 12 points last night? Sadoransky, yeah, career yeah. high in the yeah. NBA. And then Yad Mahimi has been, you know, he really messed with Carl Anthony Towns, who's going to be a perennial all-star for the next 10, 12 years. Yeah. yeah. And just, like, really – bothered him like jimmy butler i guess after the game had to like kind of call out towns for for being a baby about like the calls that he wasn't mm-hmm. getting jan held him to two of six from the field in the fourth quarter and i think mahimi was kind of the mvp of that win just the way i we know otto hit the two clutch shots which was great to see otto getting his opportunities in clutch time but I mean, Mahimi was like the MVP of that game. He had five and offensive rebounds was great defensively. Not only did the bench play well, but they outscored Minnesota's bench forty-nine to eleven. Yeah, Chris, like I mean, they them. really, really played well. Mike Scott too. Shout out to he him. He was great. Yeah, it was the difference in the game, and we've seen we've seen bits and pieces of how the bench can be effective at certain times. There have been times this season where Mike Scott is. I mean, he's just a walking bucket, and he gets 10 straight points, and he goes on a run by himself. Mm-hmm. We, we've we seen him be able to do that. We know that Sato, you know, certainly he has a really small sample size in his career, but yeah. we know the kind of skill set that he has, and and we've talked at length about Kelly's improvement already this season. So to see them come together as a unit, it's something that Coach Brooks has talked about, I think, much to – some people's you know dismay like mm-hmm. him him really trying to get this unit to mold together and they did that and it, and it got them a really gritty win it's a, it was another game where they didn't lead for hardly any yeah. of the game and they just kind of had to battle at the end and yeah and Otto coming in to hit those shots I think is really good for Otto it's good for this team it's good for them to see some buckets go in go in the basket down the stretch and and, it, and it's against a good team on the road. Yeah, All those things really are are just really good, just really good factors for this for this trip that we I think at the outset knew was going to be tough on both ends of it. And especially so, because we all always talk about who's going to get the ball at the end of the game, mm-hmm. who can take that big shot, and now you have Beal, Wall, Keith, and Otto have now all taken big shots under yeah. thirty seconds left to go in the game to seal a victory and and I think it's showing that this team is maturing and coming together and now we've got options at the end of the game potentially I think that that because now teams can't just center zero in on one guy 
but the guys need to make the pass to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest factor. And they all know that. And that's been a downfall this season. But now I just think what the t- this team needed from uh, the absence of John Wall was for guys to grow without him. And now if you look at this bench, if they can play like this when John returns, Keith gets a lot healthier. Mahimi, I feel like, is still getting healthy from last season. I mean, this team is just going to be so much more prepared, we hope. Maybe this has been a disappointing season to some people, but I think mm-hmm. the growth that the team is going through early on in the season, going to get these West Coast trips out of the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, this morning, you know, we lost last night, but I... I felt like the way they came back and just the product of, hey, this team can compete every night without mm-hmm. John Wall Yeah, once he comes back. And I feel like the lineups will be more figured out by then will be great. I mean, we talked Monday with Candice about this team might have to rethink everything without John Wall. And we're seeing that. I mean, some of yeah. the players playing at the end of the game, yeah. in the last two games, you would have never seen that. So to go back to the beginning of what I said, the best thing about this is where we got one and one on this back-to-back road trip. You know, probably could have won two of them, but so it goes. Now we look ahead to Detroit, a really formidable opponent, Zach. Yeah, we saw them the second game of the season. Uh, I think they've kind of revolutionized their team. I mean, a lot of factors go into that. Avery Bradley's just a winner. I mean, we we talked about how good we thought Detroit was going to be this year to preview this season. Mm-hmm. So you heard it here first, Wiz Kids. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Andre Drummond is a free throw shooter now, so that changes everything. Guy's only 24, and he's averaging just a crazy double-double number. I think he's up to, like, 15 rebounds a game this year and, like, mm-hmm. five offensive rebounds a game. So it starts in the middle. You need to shut him down. I think Mahimi's going to play a lot again because he matches up a lot differently than Gortat with Drummond. But Gortat's had success against Drummond in the past. You got Tobias Harris, who's matured a lot, also a really young kid. Um, Reggie Jackson can get his. Scott Brooks knows how to face Reggie Jackson, though, because he coached uh-huh. him. Um, and, then, and then they've got kind of some young, stellar pieces off the bench. They're they're not matured yet, but any night I feel like they can just go off Luke Kennard. Henry Ellenson, I don't know how much he's been playing, but he's good. John Lohr, a fellow Badger, he's always up for – he's one of those, like, Jason Smith bucket getters. Like, he mm-hmm. brings energy – uh, so and they got a great coach. I mean, it's going to be a hard game, no doubt. Yeah, I, I was going to say Luke Kennard was impressive to me the last time we saw him in small in small doses. But he is one of those guys that certainly you bring him off the bench, he can get he can just he can hit shots. I mean, he he pulled up with confidence when we saw them last, and I think that he can be a difference maker. Stanley Johnson, we'll see yeah. what kind of steps that he he has made. I know the last time we saw the Pistons, Stanley Johnson was coming off like an all-time bad game but he has been a difference maker for them too he's been able to shoot the deep ball a little bit better this season on the whole and so I think like like Zach said they're very well coached they've got a lot of talent they're young um so and they're and they're playing really well right now I think a lot of people are surprised and um so adjusting to how they're playing this season and the difference is because certainly this is a different Pistons team than we saw last year. And so the whole league is kind of having to um, adjust to how they play and, and, and try to get a win. So it'll be a fun night. It'll be a fun Friday night here. Um, go-go night. All that all that good stuff is going to be it's gonna be good to be back home and get a good quality opponent for a weekend. Yeah, and then so right before be good the West Coast, too. So it's yeah. a really, you got to win this game. It's not a must-win, like Otto said before, Minnesota. <laughs> but you, you really want to get this one because – 
You never know what the West Coast will bring. It's a five-game road trip. They're gone trip. for about ten days. Yep. And so, you you really want to you want to focus on this game because this is the game you can focus on it. It's kind of like a like a not a season opener, but y- you have it on on your calendar. I'm sure they're all resting today, but this yeah. afternoon and Friday, focus on Detroit. Mm-hmm. They played them with John Wall. He had the big block to kind of win the game. Yep. But they faced them already. I mean, that's yeah. the advantage. A lot of these teams that are facing Detroit and losing haven't seen them yet this year, and the film can only tell you so much in 20 games. Uh, so, no, looking forward to seeing them play again. The Wizards beat Detroit last time, October 20th, second game of the wow. season, 115 to 111, and they needed pretty much a, a Herculean effort. From John Wall scoring 26, Otto 28, Beal 25. They're going to need some other guys to step up Friday night to uh, be able to get another win over Detroit. All right, WizKids, coming up, as we promised at the top of the show, we have one of the championship players from the 1978 team, Bob Dandridge, the glue. I think out of all the alumni that we talked to from that team. They all mentioned Bob Dandridge as the reason why they won. He had already won one with Milwaukee when Zach was a little... Yeah, 1971. He wasn't even a thought yet. (laughs) Parents were barely alive. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But I'm sure you beat your chest all the time. You're like, yeah, Milwaukee Bucks. We were NBA champions. So we'll hear from the Washington Bullet, Bob Dandridge, coming up next, WizKids. What's up, WizKids, and welcome to a very special edition, a 40th anniversary edition of Off the Bench, as we are celebrating the Washington Bullets championship. Uh, and joining us, uh, Jacob Rame and Zach Rosen here as our other two OTB Off the Bench hosts with Bob Dandridge. Uh, it's a pleasure so to much, have Bob. you join us. This is really exciting to have you here, and it's even more exciting for Andrew Rosen, as you heard That's that audio. Name, Zach oh, Zach Rosen. Andrew oh, Rosen's wow. from a past. He did. Oh man, I just did that. Should restart. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, 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 no, no, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew um, Rosen was old school. He's very OG old school. Yes. Yes, he is. Um, I always do that in my head, by the way, Zach. Every time I look at you, I say Andrew Rosen. I have to remember well, Zach Rosen. I will. I will. But as you heard that audio before we went into the actual episode, um, that. Zach Rosen is from Milwaukee, and so he is is very happy to have Bob here. Uh, Bob, there's so many places we can go with this. Um, I just want to start, if we can, just by, you know, you kind of experiencing all of this today, taking your picture, holding the trophy again. <laughs> uh, what memories come to mind for you when you think about uh, what it meant to win the championship 40 years ago? First of all, uh, I just need to say that's the first time I ever held that trophy. Because <laughs> really? when we got it, I mean, between Wes and Mr. Poland and Elvin Hayes, couldn't nobody get a hold of the trophy. So today was a sort of a special moment <laughs> holding, <laughs> holding the trophy. And what was the other part of the question? Just to today, you know, it, we're, we, this, this season we're celebrating 40 years ago that we won it and just so what comes to your mind when you think about winning it uh, well what comes to my mind now is um just i can't believe 40 years has gone by that's number you look <laughs> great. that that's number one <laughs> and 
I take a lot of pride in it that, um, that we did win a championship. And it shows how difficult it can be to win a championship and mm -hmm. how just everything has to come together at the right time as it did for us. And I wouldn't recommend any other team to do it. We came together at the beginning of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, because we, we had a so-so record during that year. And first, in fact, it's probably the worst record of any team to ever win a world championship. I got, I got a couple tidbits that I'm like, wow, how did this team win the championship? <laughs> okay. What are you, uh, beats by Jamoke right yeah. there? <laughs> um, Bob, you're looking at um, looking forward to the now this 2017-18 season with the current iteration of the Washington Wizards. What do you see in this team and what, how would you compare them to what you guys had in 77-78? Uh, well, I think they're, they're more athletic than we are, but I'm beginning to see that competitive spirit come out. And at some point during the season, I saw where they realized the significance of winning, winning as many games as you can. I saw them play well during some clutch moments during the playoffs, and that's always a positive when players can get confidence that they can hit those clutch shots. Uh, we talk about Wall in game seven, but Wall game, Wall's shot would have been meaningless if Beal hadn't played well maybe from the four-minute or the three-minute mark, because surely... You mean that game six at home? Here. Yeah, the game, game six, six at home. Uh, so I think it was a good sign that you can see a one and two guard work together. And the big thing was that the big guys were willing to do and to be unselfish to make sure their top scorers did score. So that was a significant thing for me in terms of seeing this team and that's what we were able to do going into the playoffs. Uh, Greavy had some big games against Atlanta. Elvin had some big games. We had guys. And this team with the Wizards last year, they had some role players. And, mm -hmm. it's, and, it's, and when you think of role players, you normally think of guys coming off the bench. But surely Otto Porter – played well as a role player. The yeah. guy, and you know, your guard tack and the other big guy, they played well. Keith Morris. Keith Morris. I mean, I think Keith Morris's performance throughout the Boston series was as key yeah. as, as yeah. anybody. Yeah. So I look at – Kind of an old – Yeah. 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 Like old, old school. Old, like when you school. used to play. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Well, I don't know if I was the sprained ankle <laughs> play on guy. But he reminds me, me much of Greg Ballard, you know, okay. that hard-nosed right. guy. So role players, and to be a role player like we've seen out of the guys I've named, mm -hmm. but yet still be able to score and rebound, I, I mean, that, that takes a lot of basketball savvy not to be the one and two guy, but still be able to come up with 15 points, a couple of steals, which Otto uh, was able to do, and Keith. Is there a guy in the league now who you look at and you see playing, you're like, that guy reminds me of my 
Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I, I mean I think Otto Porter. Yeah. And I. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he, he. Does he know that you told him that? No, I wouldn't. I'd love to see. Otto. Oh, uh, I mean, I'd love to see Otto start. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, he, you know, he's right at I don't know what he averaged 14, yeah. 14 and a half, but but you he rebounds. Oh, <laughs> no, I would, I would probably not have signed that. I'd have told him I'd have played at last year's salary, but <laughs> but either, but either way. I mean, he was able to score and be an effective person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I look at Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I look yeah, at some I look at Equidala. Yeah. I mean, those are the. I'm partial to guys that play the three position. The glue guys that play the three. Yeah. Team, especially. Yeah. I mean, Kawhi is better than a glue guy, but it seems like yeah. you're kind of naming the guys that are so important to their team, but it, their other opponents may not realize it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, I could I could never be a LeBron because that takes too much hard work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I leave that type of stuff up to Elvin yeah. and Kareem and people like that. Let me be that fill-in guy. <laughs> Okay, and, and, oh, sorry, you have a no, question, go ahead, Zach? Go ahead. And that's funny because if we can start, you know, we got, we got, if you got time, we got time Yo, to I go got on this time. podcast. I got time. I read a story that said at the beginning of training camp, you play, training camp was in Fort Meade, <laughs> you sprain your ankle, and Unsell comes up to you and says, and you the reason <laughs> we're going to win the championship? Huh? He challenged you right there he, to say, hey, we need you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He challenged me right there, and he sort of gritted on me and said, uh, we're going to rely on you to win a championship, and you heard already. <laughs> well, that sort of egged me to go ahead and play maybe sometime when I wasn't one hundred percent. See, you were you were a Keith type. So I, 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 I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, my big thing was I I loved basketball. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to play, and sometimes guys now want to say, "Well, uh, I don't want to play any more than thirty six minutes a game." Mm-hmm. Thirty six minutes a game was a disgrace. <laughs> you know, I want to be out there at least forty one, forty two minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And if we look back in time, there was a guy that averaged something like 49.5 minutes a game, Wilk Chamberlain. Yeah. Right. Never came out of a game. Played with Kareem. He averaged at least 44 mm-hmm. out of 48 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So this is a game of pride. Yeah. You know. You talk a lot about the alumni from the Bulls here that you played with, Kareem with the Bucks. What has made you so like want to stay so involved with all those guys? It's fun. It's fun. It, it, it really is. And it keeps me in the game. You know, when I can talk to a guy like Mark Allery, whom I'm 20 years ahead of Mark, and to get him to come into the arena and enjoy the game and see it for what it is right now because a lot of guys who have played, oh, the game ain't this, the game isn't that. But when I actually come to a game, I enjoy the game. And I mentioned a guy like Mark Allery. When I see guys bring their families back, um, 
uh, Allery brought his son in here, and son must be about 11 or 12 years old. And mm -hmm. when they showed his father up on the jumbo screen, the kid just lit up. Yeah. You know, um, Jihadi White came in with his family and just a great looking family. Three handsome boys and when I see the alumni guys coming with their families and it, it lets me know that we as athletes are just some great guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, few people do crazy stuff, but the bulk of them, and to see guys come in, Harvey Grant come into the building, Enos, the, the people that work in the building now worked when they played. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they get excited about seeing form of bullets and wizards come back home mm -hmm. and and they treat them with the same priority that they treated them i mean guys come in pull into the parking lot they get the old spaces back they come in through the back <laughs> door uh the 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 wizards trainer gives them a duffel bag full of wizards equipment and they get to see fans that cheered for him many years ago and it lets the players know that they're still appreciated and the fans mm -hmm. care about them and it's not only the superstar guys yeah. but it's the yeah. guys that were the ninth and tenth role, role yeah. players that came in to play yeah you know, I, I, I sort of get disappointed when I call a guy like Jeff Malone. Oh, well, I'm oh, doing Jeff this Malone, and, and I'm man. doing this. And I'm saying you ranked among the top five scores mm -hmm. that's ever played with the franchise. But then once guys come in and my pitch to them, if it's going to be some opportunities for whatever businesses you're in may yeah. become, this is an excellent networking. Yeah. Absolutely. And guys have come in like here, yeah. guys have came in here and made some connections with their businesses and, and everything. So the Alumni Association has been a labor of love. I mean, we got <laughs> about 60 or 70 guys and I like talking to the guys that I came. I thought you were going to stop there. I like talking. I mean, <laughs> well, I can stop talking. We can. No, end I the love podcast. talking. No, this is great. This is awesome. You know, when, when, and, and I like doing the research on guys that I may have never known or played with. I know them by mm -hmm. name, but to do the research, call a guy out of the blue, out of the blind, and be able to talk to him about his career. Now that's the catch. Yeah. Once I know something about them, yeah. oh, then then I got them. Uh, <laughs> to, give, to give the listeners just a little backstory, if you don't know, Bob is the uh, executive director of our alumni association here with the Wizards. Um, Bob, obviously you've been a part of a ton of different things since you've played great. Can you give us a little background on your time with the uh, with the NBA uh, National Basketball Players Association and maybe your time here, what you've done with the Dandridge Group? As well. Oh, okay. Well, the Dandridge Group uh, primarily was a, uh, a nonprofit organization where we were able to attract kids uh, to life skill training. 
uh, by offering, by putting basketball out there as a caveat, look, we're going to do some basketball skill training, mm -hmm. but we're going to also have some life skill training. Mm -hmm. And that was just a fantastic experience. Uh, I also did some personal training, training kids to right. play to play ball. And uh, most, a lot of my kids came from private schools because I just felt that kids from all background had issues. No yeah. matter if you were in uh, inner city, your parents were professional, you came from a high income family, but the big thing was I was able to have my hands on 25 or 30 kids who went off to college, they got all types of just devastating or exciting careers. Uh, it made me learn how to text because <laughs> no kid, nobody would ever return a phone call, but if I text <laughs> them, even if it's at one o'clock at day and they at school before I could finish texting, they had answered. So that was the way now everybody getting the training sessions on time. Yeah. Um, my years with the Players Association were just great years because I got a chance to meet a lot of players in the league and we did we had various life skill programs for them and uh, but I think one of I I was with a group here in Washington DC and we were the first we were the group that introduced the NBA to the rookie orientation program this was about wow. almost 30 years That's ago so back in 1987 we approached the league about hey you know we got you, we know you got some transitional mm -hmm. issues and they were based on me having to make the transition from pro ball to the real world and the difficulties yeah. I encountered I approached the league going look let's have some transitional counseling for players leaving the league because you know you can be out there struggling for five or six years and never get to get it yeah and so David Stern at that time said well this is a great concept he said but right now our investment is in the guys coming into the league and that ended up being instead of transitional counseling leaving the league they decided to do transitional work coming into the league and out mm -hmm. of that came the rookie transition program, which is now used in all three major sports. Yeah. And I mean, that is as significant to me as any basketball game that I've played, because that program gonna be around long after I'm gone. Yeah. True. So of True. course we're doing this podcast series because the 40th anniversary is coming up. What are you most looking forward to? Someone you haven't seen in a long time or just just being with everybody? Uh, I think seeing probably the fans. I mean, because I know fans from the past are going to show up, and I know fans that have supported this organization from the CAP Center all the yeah. way downtown will get an opportunity to to speak on their experiences. So I'm looking forward to getting a fan's perspective oh, cool. of this 
journey here yeah. and and why or what is their hope and why they hang in here with us looking for that second franchise. Yeah. So I am as excited about you guys at some point interviewing former season ticket holders because we're going to. I think one just yeah. walked in actually. Yeah. I mean, because I think that that's going to be that's going to be the testament mm -hmm. to not only that championship team because most of them have remained, a lot of them have remained yeah. season ticket holders. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the caveat in anybody that speaks, be it player, previous ownerships, administrators, because this is a fan game. Yeah. Uh, fans got to have hope about, look, we're on the verge of winning – another championship. I want to be around to see them win the second championship. And I, I think that's that awesome. that's just special. I think that's awesome. When you were here, um, you were the first free agent signing <laughs> ever to win an NBA championship. Yes. yes. What was that experience like knowing you were coming to a new team we talked about Unsell saying you're supposed to be the savior where did you live how did you get adjusted to dc what did you think of the city when you first got here dc was easy for me because as a college basketball player i came to washington dc every year every summer to play summer league basketball you were, far from, you were in norfolk i norfolk was in State. norfolk mm -hmm. My father worked on the railroad so I could ride the train back and forth between Richmond oh, wow. and Norfolk for free. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to play against guys that were in the pros. I had an opportunity to play against these legendary guys that played at DeMatha, guys from D.C. that were all Americans in Street and Smith magazine where by go, going to a Division II school, we didn't get that type of exposure. So for me, D.C. is where my game really developed. I mean, I can remember John Thompson as a coach over there at St. Anthony's mm -hmm. over in Northeast. So I have uh, an appreciation, a passion, and a love for basketball here in Washington, D.C. So coming back here, and I learned my way around in Washington pretty quickly because that was based on the playgrounds that I had played at Ridge Road, Luzon, Keller Miller, Rose Park, mm -hmm. Sherwood. And so it made it easy for me to get around if I could see a playground and travel around. And my wife used to always say, how in the world do you know your way around? <laughs> but it was through basketball. Yeah. It was through basketball, so coming back to D.C. was just real special for me. And where did you, where did you live? I lived in Alexandria down in Mount Vernon. And oh, wow. after I lived there, in about, five, about three years, I realized I was the only African-American in, <laughs> in the community. And, and I wondered for a couple of years why nobody from D.C. ever came to see me. <laughs> And, uh, and the guys on the team used to tease me all the time because they said, man, you're going to have to drive all the way up to BWI to catch the team plane. And 
They didn't know before I had signed the contract, uh, Mr. Poland had agreed to let me fly out of National <laughs> Airport. So I was only 20, 25 minutes from the <laughs> airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? BFBWI. You're like, all right, see you later. Yeah, yeah, see, and most of the time I would get to a city before they did because BWI wasn't the airport 40 years ago. So if you left out of BWI 40 years ago, you was transferred. Oh, you, wow. you were yeah, making yeah. connections. Yeah. But National Airport, I was flying direct everywhere about mid-season. Then everybody gonna start to get an attitude and try. <laughs> they all wanna go to National. Because that, that yeah. Flights. Oh. Because I, mean, I thought maybe we could do a little then and now. Oh. like. So you used to fly commercial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First class, first class commercial. And, uh, and at that time, first class had about 16 seats on it. Oh, wow. Not like it's been cut down now to maybe eight. Mm -hmm. And we had more leg room. I mean, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. That was most important. And then if there weren't uh, enough first class seats, then you had the pecking order. Oh, Who the whoa. number one player, number two? The, the starters always had first class seats, and then they went. What if the starters switched? What do you mean, gave up a first class yeah, seat? Yeah, no, this, no, if you like weren't a starter anymore. Like you wish you. Well, then. You ain't had to worry about uh, that. Yeah, I ain't had to worry about that. You got that. bigger problems. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I got bigger problems. I got problems like I'm getting ready to go to West Coast and maybe guard Rick Barry and Connie Hawkins and Elgin <laughs> Baylor. So a seat wasn't an issue, but, but, but it's interesting enough because I traveled with the Wizards last year. We mm -hmm. went to uh, Memphis first and we went to Houston and I knew that the team left right after the game. And it was interesting and maybe because I'm older, I wasn't excited about getting into a city at two o'clock in the morning and then going to bed yeah, at 2.30. Yeah, I don't Cause I'm thinking that between 10 and three, I'm killing them. I'm, yeah. I'm sleeping my hips off. <laughs> and I'm, so I told him, look, I went on that one trip. I no, that's okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> this is not it's for not me. It's not worth the luxury to go to bed at three. No, 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 it's not luxury to go to bed at three a.m. And I'm saying, no, that's okay. What are some of the other things that maybe were different back then? Either the trainers, or you, you mentioned the bag of clothes. Did you get some some swag back then? A lot of sweatshirts. Uh, he asked Phil about his shoes. He had some blue and gold shoes during part of the season. Yeah, well, you know, Phil was like one of those high fashion guys. You know, <laughs> he and Walt Frazier played against each other. They were in the same division. I think it was Phil, JoJo, White. Oh, we were talking, about, we were talking about Phil Walker. We just spoke Phil Walker. Oh, Phil, yeah. Phil Walker. He, no, but we'll get Phil Chenier about yeah, that, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to yeah. get Phil. But, you know, back then, I mean, you – May not have worn a suit and tie, but you surely didn't have on jeans and tennis shoes. Who was the best mm -hmm. dressed guy on your team? Uh, in Washington, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, because you had Greavy, you had Cupcheck, 
You had Alvin. I may have been the most consistent guy. Consistent, right, right. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the most consistent guy. Uh, when I played in Milwaukee, Lucius Allen, you know, coming from UCLA in the mm -hmm. West Coast mm -hmm. was a nice dressing guy. Uh, so, but here in Washington, uh, they weren't concerned about dressing. <laughs> when you are thinking about just the season. I, I mentioned I had the tidbits of, of knowing some of the ebbs and flows of the season. Mm -hmm. The Phoenix game, you only dressed seven players. Not long after that, you lost 13 of 17 before turning it around. Yeah. Do you have a moment in your mind where you felt like the season, it, was, it started to click that, oh, this, this is a team, we can win it all? You know, I remember playing in Cleveland and Elvin had a horrible game. And Coach Mata confronted him about it. And he just said, hey, this is the worst game I've ever seen you play in your life. And so Elvin, being sort of temperamental, said a few words and stuff. But that particular night, I forgot who Elvin's opponent was, but he sort of, that was the beginning of sort of him tuning into the whole team because Elvin was used to being the scoring leader, the rebounding leader, and the team centering around him. So that confrontation, and I probably think that may have been the first time Elvin really has been confronted. Mm -hmm. And then uh, West played a major part. Uh, I remember up in um, up in Seattle, we got ready to play the championship game, and West wanted to know was there anything anybody was willing to do or not do to win this last game, and. Sort of everybody else could sort of see the sincerity on his face, and he sort of said he would do anything to Marvin Webster that it took <laughs> to win. And I mean, he, he physically beat Marvin in the ground that game, and Marvin wasn't a factor. So there were every... Ten games, it was something different motivationally happening. You don't get those real great inside battles in the league anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Webster, you know, Elvin Hayes versus Maurice Lucas. You, you versus Dr. J. Me versus Dr. The Iceman. Keenan. Uh -huh. Well, during that time, that was when the ABA – and the NBA merged. Mm -hmm. Now, those were some vicious battles because the ABA guys wanted to prove that yeah, they were yeah. worthy mm -hmm. of being mm -hmm. accepted into the league. But there were a few guys that the ABA players just had to concede to. You know, we had the centers, mm -hmm. you know, Cowens. Elvin, uh, Elvin played center. You, you had uh, Bullwinkle, all these guys were physical guys. You had Alvin Adams mm -hmm. down. And, but, but the ABA bought a host of good players. And most folks talk about Doc. 
But guys that gave me the most trouble was a guy named Billy Knight out of Indiana, a guy oh, named wow. Willie Wise out of Utah. Uh, Bobby Jones was just a hell of a player. Mm -hmm. um, so the ABA had some tough guys, but uh, we still had already in the league probably the better players all around. Did you? I got a lot. Of, I got you. You don't want to stop? Can you, we go longer? You can always keep going. I mean, okay. why not? Okay. All right. Okay. Um, He's here. Yes, that's that's true. Um, okay, so you're going into the '76er series, and Dick Mata said that you were the best all-around player on the team. You were the reason that that you were brought in to win the championship. Yes. Um, and then to have to, as you talked about, and, and I just mentioned, you had to be the guy that they said, okay, now you got to go check the best player on the Sixers in Julia Serving, Dr. J. And mm -hmm. then you got to go check George the Iceman Gervin in yeah. San Antonio. Did you relish that opportunity to, to have to play those guys? Because you were playing on both ends of the floor. Not that the other players weren't, but you, you, know, you really were running ragged because you had to check that the opposite team's best player offensively. You know, it, I was excited about it. It was, it was a compliment that your coaches and team had enough faith in you and believed in you that you could do whatever it took for the team to win. And, you know, that's the excitement about the game. If I got to guard ice for a while, if I got to guard uh, Julius, uh, but a part of my defense was having a good offense because mm -hmm. I wasn't just going to guard them all night. It's very quiet. You know, you got to come and guard me too. <laughs> yes, you right. know, I ain't going to. Yeah, yeah, look, it's two ends of this floor. So I had a philosophy, but I must say that coming to Washington really put my game out there. You know, it just put it on full display as compared to being in Milwaukee. I'm playing in the shadows of the big old and Kareem. And then when they leave, now I got a bunch of young guys, Junior Bridgman and Quinn Buckner. So now I'm, I'm the leader. But by playing in Milwaukee, I was – trained and well prepared by Kareem and the Big O to take the leadership role. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you compare those two titles? The one in Milwaukee and the one in That's Washington. That's a great question. Also yeah, the yeah. last for each city in basketball. <laughs> for Milwaukee, I was unaware of what was going on. I was wondering, what the hell is all the excitement <laughs> about? Because doesn't every player win a championship? Mm. But so I was, like I mentioned earlier, Greg Ballard and Kupchak, after we won game seven, they just walked off the floor. You're mm -hmm. like, what are y'all old guys so excited about? <laughs> <laughs> and so both mean a lot to me and both carry a different measure of accomplishment and success. And in Washington, I was able to be the man. Mm -hmm. And I was able, this is my team. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I can do whatever I want to do with it. <laughs> Coach Marta ain't going to complain. <laughs> this is my team. Okay, Elvin and West, y'all here, but y'all ain't won nothing. And they were also on the tail end of their career. Yeah, they was on well. the tail end of my or their career. So when I came here, I said, oh, this is my time to shine and put my game on display. Mm -hmm. In Milwaukee, I was humble. I was a role player, and I accepted that. But when I came to uh, Washington, it, it gave me an opportunity to have, which every player in his career want to have his team. Mm -hmm. And for the time I was here, it was my team. Okay, I got more. <laughs> what you do, just Well, I, he was up all night thinking of Bob. This, Bobby. this, this. So I feel like of any alum, you and I have the closest. <laughs> oh, yeah, relationship. that's true. That's true. So I felt that yeah, you could say anything yeah, look, you want. Bob's taking his jacket. I gotta take off my jacket. <laughs> in here. Comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have a one o'clock meeting. You do too. It doesn't matter. Huh? I do. We will miss it. We'll be. We'll, okay. A few more questions. A few more questions. Um, Hayes called you and uh, CJ Laverne and Shirley. Do you remember this and why? I, you know, he probably called us there because we probably worked <laughs> in con Johnson. concert in terms of being sort of freelance. Okay. I mean, sort of freewheeling we didn't get upset we didn't sort of crack under pressure the game was fun for us and so no situation was a pressurized situation and we enjoyed the tougher the game was the more difficult it was the tighter the score was the more cj the better we performed you um so you you had the ceiling dunk in game seven one of the seminal moments of that run. Do you remember at all that play and what was going through your mind at the time? Uh, yeah, Wes had gotten a rebound and I had, um, what they call it on the playground, I was hanging baskets. Yeah, cherry, cherry <laughs> picking. Cherry, cherry picking. I hadn't even gone inside the, the three-point area. And believe me, that was probably only one of five times that I ever dunked in my life. <laughs> what? Wow. I, I never dunked because maybe in about my fifth or sixth year, I saw Cassie Russell get undercut mm. oh, yeah. on a dunk. Mm -hmm. And during that time, medicals. Uh, it's not like it is now. Not like it is. I mean, he was they out. They protect the guys so much today from yeah. stuff like that. I Would mean, you have like one trainer maybe? A one trainer, and he didn't necessarily have had to be certified. Mm -hmm. You know, if he wrapped ankles and, you know, you, you had it's a like lot of. I got down there. I started, yeah, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> was. Like the guys we have today. Yeah, oh, oh, it's not. You got some jump, though. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, you know, when I saw Cassie Russell get undercut and he was out for a whole season, that sort of kept me grounded, mm -hmm. you know, going in Literally. to shoot a layup. <laughs> you know, you, you, if you knew the contact was coming, you would brace for the contact and you, you, you lay it up a little higher on the backboard to absorb the contact uh, so a guy wouldn't undercut you. 
Okay, so I started talking about the Charles Johnson and you being labeled Laverne and Shirley. Do you remember when he came here and in the first game? Yeah. He took a helicopter. Helicopter. <laughs> arrived 30 minutes uh, before the start of the game. Game, game came right in and play, had a good game, hit a couple of jump shots because I think that was a series where most of the guards were hurt. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if he was playing for Golden State when they picked him up. Bob Ferry got in touch with him, and they flew him in. He caught a helicopter in, something like something out of one of them superhero <laughs> movies. Yeah. And, and the fans took to it right away when they announced that he had just come in on a helicopter. <laughs> I said, this is wild here. But but he was he was another guy that I mean he was a valuable asset, but he he was a veteran too. Because mm-hmm. he had played on the Warriors team that had beat uh the Bullets maybe two years yeah. before. Yeah, seventy yeah, five yeah. and Warriors. St- Warriors. That was their last one before yeah. Yeah. years ago. Yeah. So it's way y'all talk. I mean, it's only two or three franchises that's won a lot of uh, championships. championships in consecutive or in close years. We yeah. were talking about Boston, Bulls, Bulls LA, Heat, Cleveland, and Heat. That's yeah. it. Yeah. The Spurs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spurs. yeah. Oh yeah. The Spurs. Yeah. Spurs. Less Spurs. than ten. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Won. I mean, they've even made it the finals a bunch of times. They won. Yeah. Oh, that's but true. no, that's it's true. hard. You can get there, and that's not easy. But to win it, yeah. every yeah. time yeah. is hard. And if we looked at it, probably, I don't know what's the seventy-five years for the league being in existence. Is it up to seventy-five years? Well, wow, I didn't know they were doing that this year. Well, no, no, I'm just thinking the number. Ball oh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, but probably. Let's say if it's 75 world championships that have been played and won, probably out of those 75, I think it's probably divided up among maybe no more than 15 players. Yeah. When you think of Bill right. Russell, you think of Michael Jordan, you think of Magic. Scotty. I think Shaq has LeBron, had a teammate that's Shaq. been on a championship team the last 22 years. Yeah, yeah. At some point Kobe. in his career, he Kobe. had a team yeah. from the, the Magic, the Lakers, and the Heat, and yeah. the Cavs. Yeah. yeah. So if we really count it, it's probably, and after we get up to 10 guys, then we got to try to look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look for 10 more, and, and that's an awesome statistic when you look at what Bill Russell got, 11 yeah. of them. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Then Michael. Then you got Kobe, you got uh, Dave Shaq. Robinson, Shaq, yeah. and uh, Manu Ginobili, Duncan which Ginobili. Is, you yeah, that, yeah, Parker. yeah. So I mean, we Robert may, Rory. <laughs> Rory, yeah, Bob, yeah. We seven. may, we may six not get seven. to twenty. Yeah, yeah man, it's fascinating. It is. It is. <laughs> um, okay. Wow, I, there's so many places to go with this. Uh, Fat Lady Sings, what do you know about how that came about? I read that Dick Motto was listening to the opera or watching an opera in his hotel room in San Antonio, and that's when it clicked, and then he started saying that to the media. I don't know where he got the idea, but he, he probably, I can't imagine him being a classical 
musical guy that he would have actually attended an opera, so it probably was right that he got it off of TV, but it clung quickly. It caught on real quickly. Even a guy started coming. Yeah, Do y'all say it in the locker room and stuff? I mean, huh? Do you say it in the locker room? No, no, we don't, we don't say that, but... It was a guy that actually started dressing up like a fat lady <laughs> yes. and coming to the game. Yeah. And if you look at some old pictures, it's actually a guy dressed up as a fat lady. Yeah. And, I mean, he became a fan hit. But then the biggest fan hit was the little dog that pulled the wagon and the dogs was one that of like these. like timeouts. Like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this dog was called Tiny. <laughs> and the uh, owner would throw the ball out on the floor and Tiny would trot out there on the floor with this little wagon attached to it. We need to bring that Taking that straight to the market. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. We, need yeah. Tiny, we need to find our Tiny the dog. So the fat lady yeah. is more of a folk story than with yeah. the locker. Yeah, okay. yeah. Needed that clarity. Oh, man. That was important. Okay. Oh, almost one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, Bob, I just want to thank you so much. I mean, we want to thank you so much for this. My pleasure talking to you three guys. Yeah. It's good to talk about some people that talk to somebody that knows something about sports. You know what I mean? Yes, it is. We try and do. We try to know something about sports. We we do our homework (laughs) for every pod. Well, it's been my pleasure. And I hope this turns out well for you three guys. The pleasure is ours, and I'm sure the Wiz Kids as well. Ciao for now, everybody.